lovely notes from Giuseppe Verde. Meantime, for another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio at the highest level, or maybe it was the lowest level this weekend, or maybe it was somewhere in between. We had 26 goals. That was a good thing. We also had six red cards, men behaving badly, referees behaving weirdly, and fan bases, if you go to social media, getting a little testy. Uh, it must be that we are almost two-thirds of the way through the Serie A season. A title race is heating up. Relegation battles are heating up. Um, and uh, a whole lot of grouchiness out there uh, for the fan bases of the teams out there on the peninsula. And to help me break it all down, the co-host of the Serie A sit-down, Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank Bonanota. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing wonderful this evening. Um, boy, they, uh, the... the uh, the Serie A weekend pretty much wrote itself. Uh, it was like a twilight zone. It was this wild, wild, you know, you know weird score lines. We had red cards, like you said, VAR. I was just a, a whole bunch of mess out there this weekend. Yeah, and a whole lot of craziness. Uh, you know, I mean, fan base is taking it to a whole other level based on some of the stuff that actually happened out on the pitch. Uh, a lot of amusing and entertaining things that I found on Twitter <laughs> throughout the weekend to keep us entertained. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're going to break all that down this week, uh, match week 22, certainly, uh, you know, not without its moments, um, you know, as, uh, eventful, a, a weekend of Serie A. And when you consider that, you know, okay, Milan Lazio, Roma, Roma Sampdoria, certainly headliners, but you know, it's not like there was a, uh, you know, a Roman Derby or a Derby del Maronina or anything like that, um, you know, for this walking into this, you had to think, okay, you know, interesting slate, business as usual. Looking forward to Milan Lazio and maybe Roma Samp, but uh, you know, the other games all had a little something in it, didn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was certainly an entertaining, entertaining weekend. Um, besides the bazaar, there were actually some good games and we had some really nice goals as well. So I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, before we get into all of the recaps. Uh, we do want to talk a little bit of uh, transfer news. Uh, two notable ones um, happened uh, since we last left you and uh, want to take the opportunity to discuss those with you. Uh, starting with Napoli, a uh, whole bunch of talk, uh, Richard, you know, about the possibility of Simone Verde joining them. And then we broke that down. You said uh, Verde uh, just said for his development, he's going to stay at Bologna. Yeah. Um, you know, so Napoli turned to Ajax uh, for Amin Younes, I uh, believe he's a German international, correct? I believe so. I'm yes. positive. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, I, I want to say that he was with the national team in the uh, Confederations Cup. Uh, Yogi Lowe did not, Very good. Uh, you know, send his A squad, uh, you know, to that tournament. Uh, and I want to say that Younes was part of it. Um, I mean... Let's comment on this, Richard, and I'll let you break this one down, okay? Because here are the two things that, that stand out for me. Um, his playing style, he is as snug a fit for Napoli as anyone they could have gotten, and they only got him for $5 million. That was a steal. I mean, for a, a young talent like that, considering who the other players we're going to mention here in a second, how much they paid for him, uh, this was a steal. Uh, this guy's, I mean, any, anybody come from the IX system, while they're not producing the world-class talents that we're used to from the, from the, from the, from the past, uh, it's still good talent there. They they ha- they can grow the guys, they can grow the talent, they can groom them uh, for these bigger leagues. Uh, this guy is definitely an attacking type midfielder. Um, would you say that he is similar to someone already in the Napoli lineup? 
when you know what, and you know, James and Ken and Rafa are all going to think I'm nuts. Um, but I'll give the hot take here. They got Insigne 2.0. Insigne um, 2.0. Okay. Yeah. Just looking at his playing style, likes to operate on the left, very pacey, very tricky. Um, you know, and, and can bring that dynamic. And I think this is essential because we talked about this. Um, when Insigne was, uh, not with Napoli, when he was out with, out through injury and just the struggle, um, that Saudi seemed to have. It's one thing when Milik went out, they found Mertens as that false nine, right? Who is now a nine, uh, no matter how you, no matter how you spin it. You know, it's another thing when Insigne is out of that picture. You know, and some of the creativity and some of the dynamic dynamism in that front in that final third just gets lost. And they had a hard time replacing it. They tried with Piotr Zielinski. Um, they tried Medikamshik on a couple of occasions. Marco Rog, and you know the success was limited at best. Um, you know, it wasn't the you know it wasn't the high flying you know Napoli that we were used to seeing. I you know certainly the Napoli our friends over there at the uh, uh, SSC, uh, uh, Sempre SSC podcast are going to ho- know a whole lot more about, uh, how Eunice fits in than we will. Uh, but that's my reaction when I look at, when I look at how he's made up and I kind of look at the, look at the style of him. What do you think? Yeah, no, that, that's a fair comparison, um, c- considering what he's done over at Ajax. Now, the question, this, this lines up perfectly for what Napoli need to do and is have a bunch of depth so they can rotate some of their guys so that they're, they can last longer throughout the season and, and really give Juventus a good push and, and try to win the Scudetto. The question is, will Sarri do the rotation now? I mean, he's got depth now. You guys got like, obviously, now you got, um, you have this Yunus, this young gentleman here. Then you got, you already have Unas. You got Zelinski. You got Rogue. You got Diawara. A bunch of young, talented guys. You got, you got Inglese coming over. Milik is coming back healthy. You have a lot of depth there that you can use to give some guys some rest every now and then. Um, so is he going to implement these guys into the lineup? Uh, it doesn't have to be all at once. It can just be one at a time, you know, whatever. Uh, but I think, you know, sorry is underestimating the power of rotation what and how why it's needed. But most of us in, in Serie A, you know, fans and, and the pundits, we're all in agreement that you do need rotation because you guys obviously get tired. You're not going to be able to play at your top performance every game. Uh, it's just impossible. I haven't seen anybody do it yet. So why is it going to change with Napoli? Um, so well, that, that'll be the key for me. Yeah. And, you know, I think we all learned the hard way, uh, you know, about Napoli because we were all, pra- like I said, you know, in podcast past, we were all praising them uh, for doing next to nothing in the summer. Yeah. Um, and, and just kind of being business as usual. And then you found with a very difficult Champions League group and trying to navigate that, trying to navigate winning a Scudetto, it's, it's too much for a, a thin squad like this. You know, um, you know, Diego Simeone limited his rotation at Atletico Madrid on a couple of occasions and got away with it. Uh, you know, got some breaks going his way. Clearly, Napoli failing to qualify from the group stage. Um, you know, was a telling indicator that, you know, their lack of depth wasn't as, they couldn't get away with it like Simeone was able to do at Atletico a few years back. Let's compare though, because uh, Simeone's team is very defensive. So with a defensive team like that, you can get away with not being as talented because you're, you're, you know, you're playing very compact. You're, you're reserving some energy and you're, you're not really have to focus too much on the goals. Napoli are all about attack and, and high energy. 
you can only do that for so much. You need to do have rotation in that respect. That's why Sammy only got away with it a little bit, just because defensively it's a little bit easier as you're because he's not playing a high energy, uh, fast paced game, a counter attacking game like Napoli is. So that's why Simeone, I think that style it, it barely worked for him, and um, it's because playing defensively as opposed to playing a high energy game. So great point, uh, excellent point, and I think that that's where Napoli had their downfall, and you know. Unas, Yunus, that's going to be a fun one to try to try, <laughs> try to start out. Good thing they don't even play Unas. We'll see what they do with Yunus. It's like Cutrone and Crotone. It's like, wait, what? what? <laughs> exactly, yeah. We had our issues with that at the very first game of the season. It's just like, you know, please don't play Patrick Cutrone against Crotone. We're going to have a hard time with that. That's not that's not easy on podcasters like us. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but uh, I, this is a great get for Napoli and for the price. Uh, just like I said, when my, my reaction, I retweeted it when I found out, and I said, steal, total steal. Um, you know, $5 million for uh, this kid's talent and his potential. Uh, you know, I think that uh, 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 Signor De Laurentiis uh, was uh, borrowing some of Saudi cigarettes after that one. Um, I'm sure this is Yogi Louvre approved as well. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Yogi's salivating at the fact for the you know the tactics and the way that he likes to play and, and, and ger- the way that he's got Germany set up, you know and, and and Yogi he maximizes he just takes when you watch his Germany teams he takes you know and, and Gian Piero Ventura take note oh I'm sorry you don't have a job right now um, he takes <laughs> he takes his players from their clubs and he just puts them into roles that they play at their clubs yep you know you don't see him asking somebody to do something totally radical or different. You don't see square pegs and round holes, you know, with Germany, you know, and he's going to watch what Eunice does. And if Eunice does have a future in this national team, and that's a very difficult pecking order right now, yeah. um, you know, he'll be able to figure that out. Uh, and he'll be able to figure out how Eunice can carve out a role in the national team. Should, uh, should there be one for him moving forward? So, uh, great get, uh, for Napoli. Um, let's hope they use him. Uh, that's all I can say. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the other transfer, uh, the, the other, the other transfer that hit this week that was very noteworthy, Wonderkind, uh, Pietro Pellegri, who you wrote about, Richard. Um, yes, yes. he is leaving Genoa and he is not staying on the peninsula. Uh, he is headed to Monaco. Um, here's my take on this. Okay. There was some very, depending on where you read reactions to this news, there was some very interesting backlash uh, to this move. Okay. Um, you know, well, he's one of ours. He's one of Italy's. Why is he going abroad? Why is he going overseas? I get that sentiment. We want to try to grow the young players in Italy. Okay. We want to grow the young Italian players in Serie I. We want to give them as many opportunities as possible. But I am not going to hate this situation for Pellegrini when you consider what Monaco have done with young players over the last six to eight years. Um, with this ownership, with the manager in uh, Leonardo Jardim, um, they have produced young players like it's going out of style. They're continuing to produce young players like it's going out of style. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Keita Balde has not skipped a beat. He scored today. Um, he has not skipped a beat since going over there from Lazio. Um, you know, and I think that this is going to... You know, for for the camp that he's going to be in and being surrounded by the by some players, there are some players with Serie A experience on that team. When you talk about a Kamil Glick, when you talk about a Stefan Jovetic, you talk about a Kate Balde. So, you know, they're going to know what kind of environments that Pellegrini has been in and have him be able to adapt, uh, you know, to this environment here at Monaco. I don't hate this at all for Pellegrini. 
What do you think? Um, you, you said it right there. Monaco develops these young players. They help. They help give guys more confidence. El Sharari went over there and he he gained more confidence. Came back to Roma and now he's been a better player for it. Um, mm-hmm. It's just something Monaco does. They know how to nurture these young guys. Look at Mbappe, Kylian Mbappe. You know he's one of the best strikers in the world right now. He's what 19, 18, 19 years old. Yep. Um, so he started in Monaco. Monaco have they 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 play their young guys and they start. Uh, Lemur was twenty. He's twenty twenty one years old. He's he's a fantastic left winger. Um, they got guys all the way from from back to front. Uh, these young talented players. So they know how to develop these guys. Plus they got the savvy guys up front like uh, uh, Falca- Falcao who can just uh, mentor them the whole the whole way through. Uh, so this is a perfect spot for Pelegri. Pelegri has a lot of talent. He's over at Genoa currently. He's not getting as much playing time as he as he needs, um, and the team is struggling there. So it's hard to to do well on a team that's struggling. You go over to Monaco, you're already an instant, you know, you know, league own challenger. Maybe you know just just below PSG, but still, uh, you're in you're in the fight every time. Um, you're going to get your chance because that's what Monaco believes in, and giving the youth a chance and getting them developed. So he will be playing. Um, he won't be starting at the beginning, obviously, especially the guys like Falcao up top, but, uh, he will get his opportunity. He will only be better for it. Just to be in the same practice pitch as Falcao does immense work right there. If he doesn't get a pitch alone, just to be on the pitch with Falcao in practice, he'll learn so much from him. He'll learn how to use his six foot five frame and he'll come back a better player and he'll be on the national team in no time for Italy. It's a very antiquated mentality, uh, to suggest that our young players or Italy's young players need to remain in Italy to grow. Um, you know, you can think of some of the other examples. You mentioned El Shadawi needing to get some time over at Monaco, kind of get himself right. Now he's starting to find some success at Roma. I'll give you another one. Brian Cristante, when he yeah. when he left and he went to Benfica. Yep. Um, and now he's come back for Atalanta, and he has been a key piece for Atalanta. Um, you know, the young players are not – You can if you confine them to confine them to one environment, you could say – that that could hinder their development more than ever. Cause you even said it on, on your spot on the football show, you know, what good is it doing the young players when veterans are continuing to get roles in these clubs that they, they don't deserve anymore. Um, right. you know, so if, if there isn't anything for Pelegri, if there isn't anything for him, if there, if there isn't any upward mobility for him for the big six or seven teams, then, for him to go to a place like Monaco is a great spot for him. And Ligon, Ligon is used to keeping uh, bringing their youth up through the to the t- to the ranks and whatnot. Italy is more of like keeping your, your veterans in there as long as possible and and using their talents until they retire. Basically, uh, Ligon is the opposite of that. They they promote their young guys. It's just kind of like the Netherlands. They promote the young guys, try to get them to get use their talent and and keep recycling them back and forth every year. So that's why I think it's a great fit for him. Yeah, I I love this opportunity for Pelegri and. Uh, you know, when he starts, when he gets to what, about 20 years old and, um, when he gets to 19 years old and he's lighting up league, uh, everyone's going to look at this and say, man, can't wait to, can't wait to see him do this for the national team. So what about the asking price? The price was a little ridiculous for a 16 year old. I think considering 20, what, consider what Napoli paid for, for, uh, Eunice, 22 million. <sighs> um, you know, first of all, Monaco have the money and they have the resources. They're well, still, yeah, they're yeah. still collecting checks for selling Kylian Mbappe, and uh, uh, they're about to get a whole lot more money when they uh, part with Lemar in the uh, summer. Um, so it's uh, so I don't think you know it, this is a spot where if they wanted, to, if they felt like it was right and they wanted to overspend, that they could go ahead and do it. Um, you know, so they've never been wrong before. So and they, yeah, they haven't been. I mean, when you look at the track record of young players that they've developed. Uh, so 
I, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not against this and I, I, I don't hate what they spend. It's, uh, you know, this was, this was their target. This is who they wanted to bring in. This is somebody they wanted to mold. And, um, probably for Monaco, 22 million was, was, uh, was cheap. So, uh, you know, compared to if they waited another year or two and, and then would have had to spend at least double that and would have had to have been in competition, um, you know, with some other clubs for his services, let's pay the 22 and lock them down now. So, uh, you know, one of those, it's just one of those strategies that a club will take if they, if, if they think they've got a sure thing, don't, uh, don't welcome competition, uh, eliminate competition by putting in a heavier than normal asking price now for the, uh, uh, buying price now for the, for a 16 year old prodigy. Uh, like I said, versus he turns 18, you know, starts playing regularly for Genoa and let's say he scores 12 to 15 goals each, each of the next two seasons for Genoa. Well, now you've got at least a half a dozen clubs that are willing to offer at least 35, yeah. uh, maybe more. So, you know, pay the 22 and get them now uh, and, and, and let them score those 12 to 15 goals for you, uh, you know, in, in, instead of somewhere else. So and then you can turn you can turn them for a bit for an even bigger profit a little bit later on. So I, I, I think it's relatively smart business by Monaco. I, I think it was a strategy that they took that they said, hey, 22 million, we'll get him now uh, versus versus sitting and playing a waiting game on him. So. Um, I guess I just looked at it from the club's perspective, uh, and, and, and just kind of considered, well, if they waited, you know, they may not have even gotten them. So, um, so, you know, good move for Monaco to get Pietro Pellegrini, great for Pietro Pellegrini's, de- Pellegrini's development, um, you know, just works all the way around. So those were the, uh, those were the two main, uh, stories as far as transfers were concerned. Was there anything else? I don't, I didn't really see anything else that was, uh, Massive as far as the uh, transfer market was concerned, did you? No, no, no. Those are the two that stuck out for me. Yep, absolutely. So, and right, lastly, before we get into the to the recaps, and I'm sure we'll talk about these into the recaps, but uh, VAR, um, uh, it uh, it reared its ugly head uh, yeah. this weekend several times. So, you know, several uh, times in several games. <laughs> yep. You know it. Uh, I think there were some some instances where they got it right, and then out there were there were two obvious ones where um, where it was either not used or they got it wrong. Uh, so let's start with the first incident, uh, which is near and dear to our hearts: Milan and Lazio. Uh, the opening goal of the game, fifteenth uh, minute, Patrick Cutrone. Pat, there I go again, Cutrone. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, appears to have headed in a Hakan Chalanolu free kick. Um, very and, and the euphoria was such that nobody even, I don't think, <laughs> paid attention to what was going on in the replays or anything like that. But when you go back and you look at it, uh, Cutrone ends up inadvertently doing a Diego Maradona impression. Sorry, England fans. Um, <laughs> and the... Uh, the cross deflects off of his forearm and into the goal. Um, there's a couple of camera angles that catch it really well. Um, Reno Gattuso even said after the game that goal probably should not have been allowed. Um, so this one's an obvious one. You go back, if VAR would have been executed, we would still be nil-nil at that point, wouldn't we? Yeah, exactly. And then uh, who knows where the game goes. Uh, maybe Lazio get on the front foot and take control of that game. Yeah, it just was one of those. On the other end, as a Milan supporter, I don't know how you feel about it. I just am like, finally, 
Yes. <laughs> One goes our way. <laughs> we, we were not Juve'd. <laughs> yes, we were. Well, Juve well, we wasn't even there. there. To we Juve'd. Yeah, yeah. Juve wasn't there to. Juve wasn't there for us to be Juve'd. So, but uh, you know, we 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 got away with one. I think Milan got away with one there. Uh, ended up, uh, you know, that ended up giving them the opening goal. Uh, and we'll talk about those highlights here a little bit later on. Um, second incident, uh, the end of the Crotone Cagliari match. Um, yeah. uh, which was interesting to me because I checked my app and I saw that Crotone 90th minute was up to one. And then a few minutes later, I go back to the app and I see full time one, one. And I, that's when I texted you and I said, I think something happened at the end of the Crotone Cagliari game because it said two, one Crotone and now it's one, one. Um, and then we had a look at it. Uh, it was a set piece, um, and a free kick, uh, from the right hand side, uh, ball was curled in. Headed home by Cecharini. It looked like a perfectly good goal. Uh, Crotone getting a two, seemingly on the way to the 2-1 win. VAR wanted another look at it um, and uh, ruled the ruled that the goal was disallowed over offside. You've seen the goal. Um, I thought it was a perfectly good goal. It was a good goal. That was a bad call. That was... Uh... If there was a question about someone being offside, it wasn't. It wasn't at all. Um, Cecarini, Cecarini was no. played it perfectly, and I thought it was a good goal. And Crotone were screwed, but it happens. I mean, you can say Lazio. You can say Lazio got screwed earlier. So um, sometimes these things happen. Unfortunately, it happens too often with VAR. Uh, it's a system that's in place to make correct calls time in and time out, and it seems to be a fifty-fifty whether they get it right or wrong um, when you look at it. So I don't. Yeah. It's tough, tough for Crotone fans for sure. I'm sure they're they're shaking their heads, saying that they're they're robbed for sure. The only explanation that I would have expect from Taliavento and the officiating crew and the VAR crew was that uh, the two players on the far side on the set piece might have moved into an offside position at the time the ball was struck, and maybe they weren't involved directly on Cecarini's header, but they kept following the play. Um, the, this is the only explanation and this is a far out one. Um, you're reaching. <laughs> yeah, this is a reach, you know, these two, the two players, and I can't identify them just watching from the replay. Uh, but they're closing in on the back post as the ball was traveling towards the goal. And the referees might have deemed that they were in a position of interference, uh, in terms of the goalkeeper's ability to save the shot. Okay. Um, and in so doing, they did that. They did that originating in an offside position. That's the only way I could see how they could have reversed it. But even at that, you need to have, you know, complete inconclusive. You know, you you got to have some conclusive evidence here to overturn it. You've got to be one hundred percent, you know, to the nuts um, that this goal deserves to be overturned. And I don't feel that way. I feel Crotone were robbed of two points. And those are going to be two big points here in the grand scheme of things when you start talking about relegation and, uh, you know, trying to fight for survival and all that other stuff. Because let's not forget, Crotone are sitting here um, in uh, 17th position, and they are trying to fight off Spall, who also got a draw today. Uh, this would have moved them. Uh, they would have stayed in 17th, but they would have been on 21 points with Genoa and Cagliari, and they would have had a little bit of an opportunity to uh, – uh, you know, to catch their breath a little bit. Four points clear of the drop. Yeah, exactly. So, um, 
you know, so those are where VAR kind of have reared their ugly head. Now, let me ask you this. I've, I've watched some of the FA Cup uh, games. I'm sorry. And I've... <laughs> uh, investment reasons. Let's okay. just leave it at that. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I know what you mean. We're in the same wavelength there. Right. Um, they're using VAR, but they're not having the main official go to a video screen. Okay. Um, the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, the center official has an earpiece. Um, you know, someone's either buzzing into them or talking into them and saying, Hey, we're looking at this, hold on. And they tell them, Hey, you have to overturn this call. That's thing. Do you think that that would be better than what we have in place right now in Serie A? It's, it's, it's a tough call. I think they're doing the same, a similar thing in Germany. Um, and it's not working there because now you're basing it on a, a handful of guys in a room to get this right. Now, do they have biases? Uh, do they have money on a game? You know, you don't know what these factors are. They should be unbiased. You know, that's what they should be. Is mm-hmm. it the case? It's not always the case. We've seen this in the past and we can say with our own league. Um, so it is, I mean, yeah, I mean, in the NFL, like, see, so look at the NFL, use NFL American football, for example, the referees have to look at it and, they get it wrong sometimes too. So I can see where the human element comes out, but ultimately it's humans judging it. So humans are going to make mistakes, whether it's a group over in London or, or in Italy, said they'll be in Turin or Rome or wherever, um, wherever these guys are looking at it, they're humans looking at it. So it's going to be error no matter what. Uh, and the only thing that's been proven correct is the goal line technology, but you couldn't use this on a system like, uh, for VAR because again, it's, it's about judgment call. Um, so unless you have something black and white, uh, written down, it's going to be hard no matter what. It, I don't think one system over the other is going to be better. Um, I mean, it may work right now, but I don't, I don't watch enough of the FA Cup to see if it's, if it's a consistent, uh, consistent or inconsistent. Um, cause we know in Serie A, it's definitely inconsistent. And I know in other leagues around the world that, that are using VAR, it's been inconsistent as well. So as long as the human elements involved, uh, it's going to be hit or miss. Yeah. And that's just the issue. I mean, you can, you you can look at something 37 ways from Sunday and that's, it's it is coming down to human perception and human judgment uh at the end of the day so um you know two that i i think these these two incidents in particular the the failure to use var in the milan lazio game and then the use of var the just unnecessary use of var in my opinion in the crotone Cagliari game it cost crotone two points it helped milan pick up an extra two points so you know um I, are you ha- are you happy we have VAR because I, you know, yeah, it has made some crucial calls correct uh, throughout the season. So it, 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 I'm glad that it's in there. Yeah, you're gonna have these mishaps like we did uh, today uh, and in last couple of weeks, but uh, ultimately it has it has gotten correct calls, crucial big calls correct, and that's what you ultimately want the system for. Same thing with VA, with uh, goal line technology. It's there and it's doing correct. It's call, getting the, the big calls correct. That's what you want it there for. So sometimes you have to uh, take the negative just a little bit, just so you can have the overall positive effect that yeah. you want. Uh, I did. I did read uh, uh, Chloe Beresford, one of our one of our past guests. She did actually, uh, you know, provide kind of a status report um, on. VAR and the use of it in Serie A. It's, it was a pretty good read. A lot of things along those lines. It is getting it is getting some things right, but it's not without its con- controversy. And certainly, uh, you know, anytime you're introducing something in its first year, there's always going to be 
there's always going to be room for improvement. It's never going to be perfect. So, um, uh, you know, but you know, you're going to remember the negative, uh, the negative decisions that, you know, associated with VAR a lot more than you're going to remember the positive, positive decisions. But that's just, that's human nature. So, um, you know, that's just how it is. You're going to be impacted by those things, uh, you know, a heck of a lot more. So, um, did you, did you happen to read that, uh, piece by Chloe? No, no, no. It's on, it's on my list. I have a, I have a list of about five articles I'm, I was meant to read tomorrow morning and that is one of them. So thanks yeah. for ruining it for me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, no, you give it, give it a read yourself and offer it. It's a, it's, it's a good piece. So, um, and, uh, you know, it gives you, it's, it's a, it's a fairly accurate, uh, uh, indicator of where, uh, VAR is at, uh, with Italian football. So, right. so, all right. So we've talked transfers, we talked VAR controversy and, and we're only scratching the surface. How about we get into some recaps? Let's do it. All right. All right. So we had two games on Saturday. We had eight games on Sunday here in match week 22 of Serie I opened up with, uh, uh, Sassuolo hosting Atalanta and Richard remember last week's podcast where I said shock of the week Sassuolo was going to be was going to uh, beat Atalanta good times yeah. weren't they yeah I hope you didn't <laughs> put money down down on that pick no 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 I'm not that, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that crazy so uh, I, I'll I, I however I will uh, I'll, I'll take credit for it uh, that you know I'll, I'll, I'll take I'll take credit for uh, Atalanta's performance and Atalanta winning here because uh I think I motivated them. <laughs> said, you "Hey, did. perfect, perfect letdown spot after a big game against Napoli. Now turning around, playing a Sassuolo team that has actually, you know, been in some decent form here. Um, you know, throughout the, uh, uh, you know, throughout this uh, uh, these last several weeks under Giuseppe Iacchini, uh, Atalanta uh, playing a relatively changed side as they had their eye on the first leg of the Coppa Italia semifinal." With Juventus, which we will preview later. Um, but on the half hour mark, it would be the visitors that struck first. Si va dentro invece con Illicic sul secondo palo! Per Masiello, che trova il gol del vantaggio e il gol numero due in questo campionato. Andrea Masiello putting Gasparini's men in first. You know something, Richard? Atalanta, um, you know, we talk about Lazio's center backs have been getting on the score sheet quite often this season, but I tell you what, between Toloi. Caldara and Masiello, they are stepping up and scoring some pretty critical goals for them as well. Yeah, and they definitely have depth in goal scoring. Uh, Atalanta do. It's coming from attack, midfield, and defense. Only person missing now is Barisha getting some goals. So, uh, yeah, good good for them. Uh, a, a team is only as good as, you know, their defense and their the whole team contributing to the goal scoring. You can't just have one or two guys. You need to have a whole team effort. Atalanta mm. are doing that. And uh, it appeared Atalanta would double their lead in the 66th minute through... Uh, Brian Cristante on the end of a free kick, uh, but VAR did get this one right. Um, they ruled Cristante offside, um, and uh, the goal ended up being negated. But uh, 17 minutes after that, Cristante would come good. Lo tiene bene in qualche modo, gol da Nick e poi Cristante trova comunque lui il gol del 2-0. That would double the lead for Atalanta and lock up the three points. Three minutes later, uh, Atalanta had a third that originally was not allowed due to a handball. 
but they would go to VAR again, find out that Remo Freuler, uh, there was not a handball, and Remo Freuler's goal would stand, giving Atalanta the 3-0 win uh, at Sassuolo. Um, you know, take away this Napoli game, uh, Richard, uh, from last week. Atalanta have really started to find some form here in league play. Yeah, and they're doing it with, with not only their, their A team, they're doing it with their B team as well. Uh, Giampiero Gasparini has really got these guys believing, uh, throughout the lineup. That's, they got, they got solid depth, and the guys are performing week in and week out, whether they're home or they're away. And, and this game was kind of a home game for them because, um, Atalanta have been using Mape Stadium uh, for their home games in Europa League, so they felt very comfortable there, uh, obviously, and they won three nothing. Um, they're just they, they know where each other are. They their their chemistry, which is so important as we talk about all the time. Atalanta has it throughout the lineup. It, 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 it's not just their A team; it's their B team as well. Uh, these guys are really humming right now, and uh, they're going to be they're going to be a team to watch for both Serie A and Europa League going through from here on out. And another theme that we'll have here in this edition of the Serie A sit-down, men behaving badly uh, as Eduardo Galdanaga found his way to a second yellow deep into stoppage time uh, for the Nero Verde and uh, getting subsequently being uh, sent off or getting red carded uh, very, very late in the game, of course. But uh, um, as for uh, Sassuolo, uh, you know, they are who they are. Everyone around them lost. I think that's probably the good news for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that That's the only bit of good news for them. Um, I mean, like I said, they have been in fine form as of late. So, you know, this this loss is going to hurt. But ultimately, if they just keep their heads up and keep rolling, it shouldn't be. It should just be a blip on the radar. Uh, but Atalanta now, they're, you know, since I think April 2014 or something, they're uh, unbeaten against Sassuolo. Uh, it's a run that sees like five wins and four draws during that span. So uh, Atalanta have had the number of Sassuolo as of the last three, four years. Yep. Yep, it's uh, uh, and you know Atalanta seems to have had a lot of people's number uh, yeah. of late. So uh, good performance, uh, comfortable performance. Uh, some key players getting a chance, uh, you know, to get some rest. Great win for Atalanta. Up next, the uh, uh, the nightcap of the Saturday uh, of the two Saturday games. I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this one for a while. You think? <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> So yeah, this is a uh, Kievo hosting Juventus. Um, the Kievo are a team that's struggling currently right now. They seem to be in a free fall. They are in thirteenth place, but they're they're they were in the top ten at one point in the season, and they've just been dropping ever since slowly but surely, losing to good teams, to bad teams, to everyone. Um, Juventus, on the other hand, the reigning champions. Uh, they've not one pretty every week, but they they found a way. That's what is important when you're trying to get a scudetto for, and for them would be seven in a row. And it was um, Allegri. It was Allegri that I think was recently quoted as saying, "I'm not I'm not here to entertain anybody. I'm here to score more goals than the other team." Something exactly. to that effect. So yeah, go ahead. exactly. So no, exactly. That's a perfect point. And that's what that's what Juventus is all about. Um, this game very much. Uh, it, it was a uh, a good tactical setup by Rolando Meran uh, for um, Kievo's side. They were content with letting Juventus control the possession and they were just going to give them like three quarters of the pitch and then when it, when it got near the box they would tighten up and it seemed to be working. Uh, Marilyn Pjanic was definitely pulling the strings orchestrating plays for Juventus uh, but again that stubborn Kievo defense was not letting anything uh, go through them um, and it seemed as the game or the first half was progressing Kievo was seemingly gaining confidence from the defensive performance um, but it would all go for naught. 
Uh, in the 37th minute, midfielder Samuel Bastian was dismissed for a second yellow uh, in a matter of really in minutes. So, boom, instantly they're down one man. Um, you know, Kievo, they stay strong, though, as teams do when they go down to 10 men. Uh, their yellow wall continued to be strong, despite Juventus growing more and more dangerous in possession and with a one-man advantage. Uh, they would go into halftime 0-0. Uh, going, continuing the second half, probably the first 15 minutes or so, the, it was pretty much the same, same thing where Juventus are, are pushing up, trying to get shots in. Um, Sorrentino's making great saves. But then in the 61st minute, Fabrizio Cacciatore was shown a straight red. Um, and then that would see Kievo go down two men to nine men. Um, you don't want to go down one, let alone two men to Juventus or anybody. Definitely not Juventus though. Uh, Juve would just need six minutes. But they finally got the breakthrough they needed. Termanjukic che lascia sfilare per Kedira! E la Juve trova il gol del vantaggio con Sami Kedira al minuto 66. Sami Kedira with a rocket of a shot uh, goes right by Sorrentino. Um, that goal uh, put Juve up 1 0. Uh, Sorrentino had no chance at that goal. Uh, I mean, when anybody shoots it that hard from, at that close of a range, Frank. No one can say that, can they? No. And, um, I mean, once it got to 11 v 9, it just was a glorified attack versus defense exercise that you would see in a training session. Um, I mean, that's really what it was. I mean, it was, I think, you know, you get the Kadira goal. Um, I know you'll talk about the second. I mean, it was, I think when that second red happened, it was damage control for Kievo. Um, yeah. you know, for as much as possible. It's like, okay, let's just, try to keep him out of somehow we can miraculously get a nil nil out of this great, but uh, you know, let's not, uh, let's not get throttled. So Juventus would uh, put this game to bed around the 88th minute. Juventus, um, Juventus player Douglas Costa curled in a sublime pass to a wide open Iguain. Uh He nets his 10th and Juvent- Juventus momentarily would go on top uh, as a summit as they went to nothing. Um, so, like, while Kievo, they're, they're currently in 13th place, they haven't won a game in eight league games now, uh, sitting just six points above relegation zone, not a place where they thought they would be, Frank, uh, did they? Well, the, as, as Matteo Benetti put it on the uh, BN telecast, the grounded donkeys now, uh, <laughs> not the flying donkeys. And, and you know what? We actually had a – I was getting ready to start a Matteo Benetti drinking game uh here at home uh watching that game because he was saying the grounded donkey so much he must have said it about five or six times i think or at least that's (laughs) i came away saying that i came away thinking that at least so um but i want to talk about these red cards um and um you know the bastian incident was silly because it's fresh off the yellow um stupid it was really stupid grabbing him by the by the collar and i'm like come on yeah you know you just you just got a yellow um you're not, you know, th- th- there's enough men behind the ball that, and I can't remember who he fouled, but there, he's not going to create anything dangerous, you know, from that particular situation. So it was, it was straight up foolishness. I do want to talk about the second red, uh, okay. because it was an incredibly hot topic when it happened. Um, you know, I've had 24 hours or so to digest it since it has happened. Now, let's remember what happened before. Okay. Kievo had a counterattack. Um, a cross was played and it was Cacciatore who got a header on goal. He forced a save from Chesney. Now, at, shortly after, just upon heading the ball, he got absolutely destroyed. Yeah, in the back. By Quadro Asimov. 
Okay. I mean, just, I think a knee to the back or something like that. And, uh, you know, I think that there was some, you know, maybe a penalty should have been given. I know that there was a lot of clamoring about that. I don't know that it did it happen so fast. That it was hard to make that call. Who knows? Well, you know, Cacciatore is down, needs treatment. Okay. This is how the red happened. Okay. The Juventus continue to play. They go the other end and I think they either get a corner or a free kick. Cacciatore is coming all the way back. He, but the referee, um, in this game, Fabio Maresca, um, and I'm only bringing up referees' names when they do something, you win, you know, when they're part of something controversial. Um, I, you know, especially on the set, I said, well, anyway, Cacciatore has been checked on. He's okay. He wants to continue to play. Maresca says, no, I didn't clear you to come back on. You go to the touchline. I'll tell you when you can come back in. And you could read, um, uh, you could read Cacciatore's lips going, perché, perché, you know, why, why? Um, you know, or said, I'm, I'm fine, let me play. You know, so this was going back and forth. Maresca, you know, just pointed, go over there. Okay, so Cacciatore runs to the touchline. And I think he's, you know, there's a picture of him with his arms, you know, in the air, you know, behind across, his back. Yeah. you know, across, like he's handcuffed. And then he turns around, he stands on the sideline, he's got his arms behind his back. Right. You know, and he's got the handcuff gesture, and that's what got him the straight red. Um, here are some problems that I have with this, Richard. Okay, because it's all right. First of all, Noresca. I understand that referees have to, you know, be able to execute their powers and say, you know, I have to let you back on, you know, because that's important to them. It's good for their egos. Um, the. This is an incident where Kiev were already down to 10 men, okay? The physios checked Cacciatore. He was fine. He's back out there, okay? At some point, um, protocol should be sacrificed or not, not necessarily sacrificed. Protocol should take a backseat to common sense, okay? And the situation is, okay, this is a team that's playing with 10 men. The physios have cleared him. He's out there. Okay, go ahead. Keep playing, all right? That's a problem that I had with Maraska there, all right? And people can go ahead and argue and say, be by the book, be by the book, be by the book at all times. Kiev were down to 10 men against one of the best teams in the league. All right. Use some discretion here. All right. If the, if the physios have cleared him, if he looks good to go, just what's the point of putting him on the touchline to put him back in two seconds later? Okay. It's silly. It's stupid. All right. So, you know, and just looking at the body language of Maresca. And I don't, I, you know, I don't try to be a conspiracy theorist. I'm not trying to start anything here. And I said it on Twitter. Maresca baited Cacciatore into that. All right. He baited him. All right. He was out to send him off, you know, and you can't tell me otherwise. And the, the, the Napoli guys were losing their minds and they were right. And, and they were right in doing so. Now, the handcuff gesture. Straight red for that. I mean, yeah. can you see behind his back? No. And a yellow? Fine. If you want to give him a yellow for being a jerk, sure. Okay, and then the Juventus fans came back and said, well, Mourinho did the same thing, and he got sent off the touchline, and he got a three-match ban. Yeah, but he was also managing a team that had 11 men on the pitch. Okay? You got a player that's trying to play with some emotion that's fighting his tail side off because he's part of a team that's in a disadvantage. Let's use some common sense, referee. Okay? And let's let him... Let's allow him to be with his teammates instead of the two minutes just because you feel you need to have the power to call him back on the pitch. Okay? 
That's my problem with Mar those are my problems with Maresca. I'm not done yet. I, you'll get to talk. <laughs> Cacciatore. Fabrizio Cacciatore. And this is a memo to everybody in Serie A not playing for Juventus, not wearing those white and black stripes or when they wear the yellow away kit or whatever it is that 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 diarrhea green that they wore uh, on Saturday night. Know who you're playing against. Know their reputation. Know the perception of them. Don't allow yourself to get into a situation like that. Okay? The referee says go to the touchline. Just go to the touchline. All right? Just go to the touchline. Behave yourself. Let them call you back in. Okay? I don't think that this is 100%. I, I, I blame Maresca for this situation more than Cacciatore. But we know we've talked at length about the perception of Juventus and the Juventus privilege and whatever else you want to call it. Okay? Um, Nil-nil game. Chievo down to 10 men. They're fighting and they're fighting and they're fighting. I'm not going to – I'm not I'm not trying to start anything here. But if you're Fabrizio Cacciatore, you have to know who you're playing against. And you have to know what the perception is. And you have to know what the reputation is of that team. Okay? It's time to stop hiding about it. It's time to stop making excuses. I'm going to have, have a whole bunch of Juventus fans angry with me. I'm sorry. Okay? I'm sorry. But perception sometimes can be reality. And – uh, that was, that was disgusting. Cacciatore didn't deserve a red. You want to give him a yellow, tell him to cool off and he stays there on the touchline. Fine. But a straight red for it. I'm sorry. This is a different incident than what happened to Mourinho all those years back with Inter. Your take. <laughs> I said a lot. I said you, a lot there. You pretty much said it all. Um, no, I mean, Cacciatore has to know also that his team's already down one man, so you need to do anything you can to get back in that game. Exactly. And if the referee says get over the sideline, get over the sideline and wait till he tells you to come on. Uh, and plus, given who you're playing against, uh, you should know better. But I'm going to blame Marasca in this whole thing because, exactly. like, like you said, he, he had an out for him. I don't know if, it, if, if Cacciatore said something to him after he didn't get the penalty he thought he should have got. Well, it's uh, like I said, he baited him. He baited yeah, him. Yeah. He baited him into that red. So it was a stupid red. Yeah. By the referee. Not by the player. My player, I mean, yeah, but uh, the referee was a stupid. He should be. He should be disciplined for that. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was. That was, on, that was on call for. And a game was, that was a game that was competitive up to that point. Yeah, and I only want to create for people who are playing Juventus down the road and, and someone like Cacciatore. Prevent. Try to prevent this as much as you possibly can. Do what you can to prevent it. And it's hard when you're competing, you know, and it's hard when you're already up against it against the defending champions, a man down. I understand that. But try to remember the environment and try to remember as much as you can the situation that you're in. And I'm not trying. This doesn't mean I'm blaming Cacciatore. I'm just trying to suggest that how Cacciatore could have prevented some things here. Okay, but this was 100% on Maresca. It was a poor demonstration of what it means to be a referee, um, and uh, you know it was uh, it was embarrassing. It was even more embarrassing to see Juve Twitter going on saying that that was a straight red. But then come back the next day in the Napoli game and say that that wasn't a penalty on Calleon. It just, <laughs> you know, it's just like, uh, you know, it's, it, where, does it, where does it start and stop with these guys? So, you know, and I don't want to declare war on the Juventini. I, you know. Um, You're alone on that, friend. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm, that's, that, that's not what I'm trying to do, but. You don't sit here and, you know, and, and, and make this kind of judgment and then cry foul at something else, you know, with your title rival. And then we're going to talk about I'm sure we're going to talk about that here a little bit later on. But that's 
you know, that's the rant that I wanted to go on with that entire incident. And, and, you know, there's got to be some degree of, of, of fairness or there's got to be some degree of discretion and common sense here when it comes to officiating in certain situations that I, I wish would be addressed. Um, you know, they're certainly not going to listen to you and I on this, but I mean, if I'm a referee and I see a guy's ready to go and the physios have cleared him, you know, stay in the game. Good to go. You guys are a man down. Go ahead, get in there. So, you know, I'm not going to tell you go to the touchline until I tell you to come in. It's, it's crap, you know. You know, officiate the game. Do things. Do things for the good of the game, and that clearly wasn't for the good of the game. So, so all right, I'm off my soapbox. Where are we now? <laughs> Where are we? Uh, so okay, so um, Juventus. Uh, you know, they continue their fabulous unbeaten run, which now stretches to 21 matches in all competition, including their last six in Serie A. So. At, for, moment, for the moment, uh, you know, they're the only team, they're only one of two teams, or one of four teams playing on Friday. Uh, they would get the, um, was it Friday or Saturday? Either way, they're momentarily back on top of the summit, but, you know, Napoli were still to play the next day. Yep. It, what's incredible here is, you know, and, and, and maybe Saturday's game aside because, you know, they played, you know, 25, you know, they played a half hour of this game against, you know, with the two man advantage. Um, the defending and, and this time Chiellini wasn't in the starting lineup. Um, he put out Tosilio, Barzali, ben, Benazia and Asamoah. Uh, I mean, Allegri just, Allegri just throws lineups out there and it's as you were, you know, uh, it's business yeah. as usual for Juve. It's, uh, it, you know, it's interesting to see. I mean, Chievo, this, this situation and this game aside, I mean, this is, this is a this is a free fall, and we talked we talked about this in the last couple of podcasts that it was time to worry about Kievo. Um yes. and and obviously we didn't think that they were going to get anything out of this game, um, but uh, now they're only five points clear of safety. They go to Atalanta next. Uh, they host Genoa. That's not going to be easy. They host Cagliari, who've been playing better, and they go to Fiorentina. So I. With how they've been playing, and then this, with this gut punch over these next four games, I'm struggling. I, even with Genoa and Cagliari at home, excuse me. Even with Genoa and Cagliari at home, wh- where are they getting the points? <laughs> so um, that's where that's where my concern is with Kievo. Maybe they'll beat Genoa, maybe, but Cagliari are playing a lot better now. Um, you know. Uh, it's it's uh, they're a team I'm really worried about, and if they're in the bottom three at the end of the season, Richard, I would not be surprised. Yeah, they're they're in a bad free fall right now, and uh, I would be surprised. I would also wouldn't be surprised if Rolando Maran uh, lost a job here shortly. Yeah, something's going to happen there eventually. So something is is definitely going to be going to happen eventually. So moving on into Sunday, we uh, the, we had a game before all the multicultural activity that was between Spal and Inter. Um, Inter really, you know, struggling to just win games right now. Uh, it's 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 been crazy the way that's uh, gone for them. And they played a very pesky Spal team, a Spal team that has been a thorn in just about everybody's side this season, and one that's desperate right now, sitting in that bottom three. Uh, this game would be nil nil in the first half, um, and then in a set in the second half, a a wonderful cross from Inter, beautifully picked out from by Francesco Vicari. Problem with that, Francesco Vicari plays for Spal, and he put the ball in his own net. 
that gave Inter the 1-0 lead, and it would remain that way. Chances for each side uh, throughout the second half. Um, actually, the, the shots ended up becoming relatively equal. Inter having a little bit more in the possession in this game, but in the 90th minute. Antenucci con il destro, il colpo di testa, il pareggio! Ha pareggiato Alberto Paloschi! Pareggio al novantesimo della Spal, 1-1 tra Spal e Inter! Alberto Paloschi, Richard, having a little uh, mini Darby della Madonina moment for himself there. The former Milan man yeah. striking and getting the equalizer. And again, two more drop points for the Nerazzurri. Richard, has the novelty worn off with Luciano Spalletti? Yes. Um, and it, it's, you want to see what Inter, how they're going to come out of this. Because you want to see with every team, when they have a dip of form, how they come out. Napoli has come back out. Juventus has come, out, come back out from their mini, mini dips. Uh, Sampdoria looks like they come out. Well, we'll get to that. Uh, but Inter, they've been struggling as we knew, we knew it was going to come. We didn't know when it was going to come and how long it was going to last. Uh, but they're in it right now and they're finding it hard, <laughs> near impossible to get a win these days. Uh, they're lucky if they get draws. I mean, they had, they had the game until the 90th minute, like you said. So they need to find it up, find a way to get more goals and tighten up the defense. They got good players. They just, they're not there. It's a mental thing right now with Inter. It always has been every year. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter who the manager is and, and, and Luciano Spalletti is no different. He, uh, his teams have also have, uh, had the same fate. So they got to come out of this sometime soon. Otherwise, uh, they're going to be seeing their, uh, their city rivals very soon in the standings. So, and they, that's something they don't want to see. Yeah, indeed. And, uh, uh, just, it's, uh, it's been a while since we talked about a Moto Icardi goal too, which, uh, yeah, the well's dried up for right now, which you didn't yeah. think would happen. No, you wouldn't. Uh, you know, not in the least. And, I mean, Inter as a team, I mean, in all competitions in their last six games, just three goals. Um, you know, so um, and if you want to stretch that even further, uh, uh, in their last eight competitions or, or last nine in all comps, ever since that 5-0 win against Chievo, uh, just four goals. That includes a goalless uh, draw, including extras against Pordenone in the Coppa Italia. Uh, so there are some real struggles here. And... You know they're added. They've added some players here in this January transfer window, and I don't think that they're going to be immediate answers here. It's going to take them some time to really, I mean, in particular, get acclimated to Serie A. It's not like Lisandro Lopez and Rafinha are going to just walk in here and all of a sudden set the world on fire. Uh, and Spalletti is known not to give the, the new guys uh, a start right away. He, he's very slow in, in bringing these guys into the team. So it, I'll be surprised if they have any effect on the team. At least in the first month or so, uh, just because that's what uh, Spalletti's track record is. Exactly, exactly. And for Spal, you know, a much you know, if they if they survive, you know, I keep saying this about these particular situations, but I'll bring this up: if if Spal end up surviving, uh, they're going to look at this 90th minute goal from Alberto Poloski as being a big part of it. Absolutely. So, so that's uh, that's where we're at with it. Spal. Still got a little bit of work to do, sitting there on. Uh, 17 points, two behind Crotone, uh, four behind uh, Genoa and Cagliari, who we'll talk about here momentarily. Uh, but let's uh, get on to the team that were the league leaders going into the weekend, Richard. Yes, uh, the Partenope, they knew they needed a victory to stay atop of the table as Juventus had already beaten nine, uh, nine-man Chievo the night before. This is also going to be a very awkward match for one Simone Verde, who, as we mentioned before, recently rejected a move to Napoli. So we knew the Napoli faithful, the fans, were going to be rude hosts for the young Italian, whistling at him any chance they could get. 
Unfortunately for them, they wouldn't have to whistle for very long. Um, but this was a wild start to this game in Naples. Um, cause just 26 seconds in, uh, poor defending, which you, we don't obviously say with this guy, Koulibaly. Uh, he, t- he, he mistimed the jump completely, got it wrong. Yeah. And then Mario Rui, uh, I don't know if he was live tweeting or on Facebook Live, but he completely forgot to mark Rodrigo Palacio, uh, and he had an easy tap in of a Fred, uh, Fran- Federico Di Francesco cross at the back post. So, was a shock and order was a question. It was really one nothing to Bologna. Um, that man we just talked about, Simone Verde, he didn't last very long. In the fourth minute, he picked up a thigh injury and was subbed off for Ladislav Krajci. I don't know if it was an actual injury or maybe he was just, uh, didn't want to be part of the, uh, the whistling. I don't know. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to judge him from that. Um, yeah, that's, the, uh, yeah, the, don't walk that tightrope. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as soon as that sub came off, um, Napoli would eventually get their groove in. It was, I mean, literally like a minute later, uh, Napoli equalized on a corner as Mario Rui, uh, cross, his cross was deflected by, Pal- I think, off Palacio's back or something. Um, mm-hmm. and Ibrahim Mbaye knocked it into his own net while attempting to clear it. Just like that, we were back to even. Um, it was a kind of a funky play, and it's a play as a defender, you don't, when the ball is kind of swerving as it is, deflecting off someone, you're not sure exactly where it's going to go. I know it's tough for a goaltender in those situations, but, you're trying to go and kick it, and he just missed it completely, and it just went backwards. I mean, has that ever happened to you? No, I'm an attacker. Why wouldn't why would that ever happen to me? <laughs> <laughs> I've scored I've scored goals I've scored goals that I've never that I didn't know about. Uh, oh, like Bonucci. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know that's happened to me before, but uh, but no, I can't say that uh, I can't say that I've ever had that had that happen to me. Uh, of course, even at the amateur level, but you. It's something that you would see at the amateur level a lot more often than you would see it at the uh, professional level. That's to be sure. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. So at this point, it's one-one. Um, uh, around the twenty-second minutes, maybe a couple, maybe maybe fifteen minutes after this uh, that play there, um, Blair Jamali uh, he was looking to get the visitors to lead once more. Uh, it was a brave defensive effort by Mario Rui who blocked the shot because, frankly, Pepperino was on the other side of the goal. Um, so it was a sure tap tap in if Rui had not been there. Then, all of a sudden, after that block happened, Bologna began to protest, uh, saying that it was a handball in the box by Koulibaly. Uh, so, referee went to VAR, looked at it, uh, the video deemed that the ball had gone off Koulibaly's thigh, not his hand. Uh, so, the, it was a correct call. Did you agree with that, Frank? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was a clear, it was, it was, it was a clear decision. It wasn't, uh, yeah, this one, this one didn't, this one wasn't controversial. This one they got right. Absolutely. So that's one VAR call in this game. Um, a second one would rear its head again just 15 minutes later, and this was another contentious moment, maybe the bigger contentious moment that everyone was talking about. Um, and even got the Juventus fans riled up, as you know very well, Frank. Uh, Jose Callejon, <laughs> he nutmegged Adam Messina, and as he entered the box, Messina pulls Callejon down, and a penalty is awarded. Uh, the play would go to VAR, and the referee's decision was confirmed. Up would step Dries Mertens for the penalty, and he would score, giving the partner to pay a lead two to one. Frank, what was your assessment on that penalty? Um, I it's 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 a fifty fifty situation, really. I mean, you um you're you're damned if you call it, uh, you know, to the team that commits the penalty, uh, and then you're damned if you don't call it to the team who felt there should have been a penalty. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. that's it's it, it's really what it is. I mean. You know, uh, Messina. This is a this is this is a match awareness issue with Messina here. Um, 
Yes. Callejon has got the ball at the end line. He's not going to score a goal from there. So any kind of pulling, you know, the worst he's going to do is be able to play some sort of a cutback cross where, you know, if you've been beaten, now you're at the mercy and you hope that your other defenders are in support and are able to clear it out. And that's what you've got to try to do in that situation. You can try to track the cross and you can try to disrupt it as much as you possibly can. But Messina got his arm out and he grabbed, you know, and he, and he pulled at Calhoun. Okay. Um, he didn't make a lot of contact. And I think that that's what upset a lot of people who felt there shouldn't have been a penalty. Um, but the referee made the decision to call it. And he did that because I think Calhoun ended up doing a good job of selling it. Okay. Um, you know, so I, it's again, you're, you're damned if you call it, you're damned if you don't. Um, and, uh, in, in this instance, he gave the penalty, they went to VAR, you know, and this was a incident where, okay, can we really overturn this? And he said, no, the call has been made. Um, and we're at the San Paulo. I don't want to anger 50,000 fans or how many other people are, you know, are sitting here. Do you No. Okay. Well then the, the, then the, uh, then the penalty stands. So, um, you know, and that's the, uh, that's the, that, that's what I tried to at least present when I was on Twitter. I wasn't trying to be indecisive or sitting on the fence. I was like, I could see why you would call it. I could also see why you could let it go because you could let it go because it wasn't in a really dangerous goal-scoring situation. Well, I mean, a foul is a foul in the penalty area, regardless of where it happens there, if it happens right in front of the goal, whether it happens in the, you know, in the back corner of the 18, uh, the 18-yard area. So um, I think it's a match awareness issue with Messina, and I think it was a sell job by Callejon. A combination of that led to the referee blowing his whistle. Yeah, when I initially saw it, I said, oh, that's a, that's a clear penalty. He dragged him down. Then they show the replay. You see his hand is, is on him somewhat. But like you said, as a, Messina should have known better. When you're in the box, you don't put your hand on a player because every attacker in the world is going to go down when they feel any kind of contact. Yep. Secondly, Callejon sold it. I mean, it was a great sell. Yep. Uh, no doubt. And he, and he fell the right way. Some, some guys dive so bad that you don't even – like, no, that's a, that's a dive. He did it. He, he dove correctly. So it was a veteran move by him. But uh, if Messina had never put his hand up there, I mean, like you said, there's no, there's no, what scoring chance would have come out there? You would hope that the rest of the defense was there and would have bailed him out. Um, so I can say go, I can see go either way. I, it's a tough call. I've seen much worse penalties given. Um, so I, I was okay with the decision. Um, and so just like that, Napoli are up two to one. Um, let's just fast forward. It went to a halftime, two to one. Uh, let's fast forward over to the 59th minute. Uh, Frank, there were no complaints about the third goal. Uh, Alan sparked a counterattack, and Dries Mertens cut inside down the left flank, and... Mertens entra in area. Mertens para sul destro. Caccia! Mertens! Un altro gol! Semplicemente meraviglioso! Del solito! Fantastico! Dries Mertens! A splendid right foot curl into the top corner. Napoli up 3-1, and Mertens scores not only his 12th, but also his 13th goals as Napoli jumped back into first place over Juventus. Frank, did you see how Mertens looked right at the camera with a smirk? Like, you know, how you like them apples after that goal. He, <laughs> he totally hammed it up. He totally hammed it up. He's like, that's right. I just did that. He does that a lot, though. Um, he did that uh, when he scored on Real Madrid last year in the Champions League. Yeah, yeah. Um, he went to the camera, and I think the camera was all kind of fogged up, and he drew a heart uh, on it. So... 
Yeah, he he's always doing that kind of gamesmanship after scoring goals. It's just it's, it's part of his persona and part of his mo, and it, it, I, it doesn't bother me. Um, you no, know, no. it's not rubbing it in. It's just it's good natured fun. So uh, go ahead and have at it if you ask me. Uh, so, but good to see him back on the score sheet. A brace for him, and uh, you know, hey, Laura Bradburn, uh, your boy has a chance. <laughs> he's catching up. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Laura Bradburn's going to be right here in the end. We'll see. So, but Merton's is starting to find some form too, which is huge for Napoli at this point. Um, uh huh, one hundred percent. Yep, uh, he's uh, he's he's starting to get back among the goals and and, and starting to rise up here uh, on the Capocannonieri chart, and especially on a week where none of the guys in front of him really did anything, didn't do anything at all. So, um, you know, so uh, and, and brilliant goal on the second one. Uh, so uh, you know, this is the uh, this is the Dries Mertens that uh, made him our player of the season last year, uh, you know, and, uh, starting to, uh, starting to flash that form and starting to say, Hey, you gotta, you gotta review this. Uh, you gotta update this, uh, squad if you know here pretty soon. I'm just uh, making you take notice. We're noticing. <laughs> so, but you, you have 13 and the Mobley has 20. So, and you know, and, and Icardi's up there too. So you got a little more work to do, <laughs> but maybe we'll have room for a couple of them. We'll see. So, but, uh, you know, back to the top of the table, but I think that this is, you know, you know, weird the way they went about getting these results, but Richard, I think this was expected that both of these teams would win and, and would still be, uh, you know, Napoli won, Juventus two, uh, at the end of the weekend. Yeah, no, exactly. So, uh, they're starting to distance themselves from the rest of the pack, uh, which we kind of expected to begin the season. So, uh, good for them to, to keep, keep pace with, uh, Juventus and stay ahead of them. Um, cause it'll be, it's good to see a dog fight throughout the season. That's what we need to see in Serie A. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, moving on to Torino and Benevento. Uh, we'll whip through this one, Richard. Uh, it, uh, it was over pretty much before it started. Berenger finding Iago Falke for the opener on three minutes. Uh, a sending off. More men behaving badly. Uh, this happened in the 33rd minute. And that was the goalkeeper, in fact, Vid Belic. Um, was that the 33rd minute? And then the 40th minute was Mbain Yang, uh, putting Torino in front, two goals to nil. Um, uh, Alberto Brignoli actually had to come on as a substitute after that red card happened. Um, uh, and then the uh, third goal before halftime, Joel Obi uh, in the 45th minute. And uh, uh, time to take notice of Torino here, Richard, under Walter Mazzotti. And uh, yeah, yeah. they are... On an unbeaten run here uh, since uh, that quarterfinal defeat uh, to Juventus, uh, he get, uh, Mihailovic gets the sack, uh, and then uh, Mazzotti has come on, played three, uh, one two, drawn one, scored seven, uh, conceded one. All of this without Andrea Belotti. Bravo, bravo! They're tightening up the defense. Is what the one thing we said they needed to do is tighten up defense and try and get some goals back. They're doing it. Uh, it's great to see because, uh, Torino, they, on paper, they have a very good squad. They just need to bring it on the pitch every week. So, uh, Mazzotti's got them going in the right direction. That's up. And by Nyang is finding some form. Iago Falke has been excellent throughout the season. So, yes. uh, a couple of pieces there to kind of keep it held over until Gallo comes back. So, a uh, team that, uh, we might need to pay a little attention to here in the second half of the season, Richard. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And Benevento, uh, Fun, fun while it lasted. <laughs> so back-to-back 3-0 defeats after winning two straight. So still sitting there at the bottom on seven points. 
so so that happened at the uh, Torino Benevento game. Genoa Udinese, Richard, uh, you got something on that? I understand another man another man was behaving badly in that one. Perhaps, yes. Yeah. So you know, both sides they were rejuvenated by a management change in management. Uh, Davide Baldiadini uh, steered the Grifone away from the drop zone, if you will, and uh, on the other side, Massimo Odo. He seemingly turned his Udinese squad into a sleeper pick for Europa League. Um, this game was a very cagey game, chances going both ways. Uh, the score would be 0-0 going into the half, just when it looked like we weren't going to get any goals in this game. A goal really popped out of nowhere. In the 61st minute, Maxi Lopez's attempt was blocked. Uh, the ball rolled around the box and... Limite il velo di lasagna, Maxi Lopez si crea lo spazio, cerca il destro a giro, poi Berami! All'improvviso, Valon Barami al sedicesimo della ripresa, 1-0 Dinese. Valon Barami charged down the loose ball and simply put his foot through it from the outside of the area, drilled it low into the near bottom corner, Udinese up 1-0. Um, so you're, you're up 1-0, you think, you think you're going to be in clear ceiling from there on out, but they were wrong. Uh, just three minutes after that goal, Samir would pick up a straight red in the Fruliani, uh, would go down to 10 men. Initially, the ref, though, he gave him a yellow, uh, and, but the play went to VAR again, once again, VAR, and he ended up giving him a, a straight red. Was that a straight red for you, Frank? Oh, it, it looked malicious, didn't it? Um, yeah. It was, you know, it's an interesting one. It's one of those that, you, it, it, here's what I'm learning about these VARs that turn into red card. If you committed a foul and they're going to VAR to review it, just start walking to the dressing room because yeah. <laughs> you're going to get you're going to be shown red. I mean, that just seems to be that just just seems to be what they do there. I mean, if they're going to be air to review it because they're clearly not reviewing it to confirm that okay, yeah, it's a yellow. Um, somebody's in his ear saying that looked very malicious. Come and look at it. Uh, and that's uh, that's what it was. And yeah, so yeah, I mean, you know, one of those that without VAR it's a yellow and who would have complained for him getting a yellow? You know, no nobody in general would have said, yeah, he should be sent yeah. off of that. So um, you know, just a weird one. Uh, but, uh, but that's just it. I mean, it just, it, it seems to be the pattern. If, you know, if they're, they're going to VAR for these fouls and you weren't initially given red, um, Walk you know, go off. <laughs> yeah, start walking. <laughs> so, well, just um, like that, Udinese down 10 men. So Genoa did give it a go, but Udinese would barely hold on despite an Andre Galabinov header bouncing off the bar and Luca Regoni somehow failing to score in the 88th minute the game would end one nothing Udinese would get the big win um good for them they finally got a bounce back win uh seems like Odo really has his guys motoring in the way uh in a, in a positive direction you know as opposed to how they were under Del Neri um they're uh they're gonna be they're gonna be a team that you have to look out for in the second or the rest of the second half of the season uh especially the teams up top because they they play some lovely football not quite as lovely as Napoli but uh, they're attacking and they're young, so um, Odo really has his tactics uh, straight. Where you, last year with Pescara, you didn't think he had that in him, but good for him. I just don't think he had the players at Pescara. I think that that was the issue there. Yeah. Um, you know, he does, certainly doesn't have the talent that he has here at Udinese. Um, this makes Udinese Milan next weekend very, very interesting. Um, you know, did do Milan get lucky without you know a, a useful defender in Samir not being available for it now through suspension? You know, much like they got to benefit from Lazio not playing with Immobile today, which which we'll talk about here shortly. Um, 
you know, our, our Milan starting to get some breaks. We can get into that. Uh, this was a resourceful win for Udinese, obviously, with the red card and having to navigate the, the final 25 minutes on 10 men. Um, you know, for all the beautiful free-flowing football, it took the work of a couple of their veterans, uh, the, the, the effort from Lopez and then the rebound from Verami to get it done. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't take away from the fact that there's still a good nucleus here uh, with the Zabretta. And I think that... Uh, um, I, I think that they're 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 in this seventh to ninth position, the ninth right now on thirty two points, and I think they're there to stay. So um, the we're more worrying uh, Genoa dropping points here, um, and uh, we're just looking here at their most recent results. Okay, that's back to back defeats now after beating Sassuolo, drawing Torino. Uh, beating Benevento, you know, going out in the Copa di Juventus. So they've, I don't want to say that the novelty is worn off with Davide Balladini, but now they're this, this, this tight, uh, style of football that they're trying to play where they're trying to grind. Now they've got a couple of results going the other way that could impact the dressing room and that could impact the belief in a team. And when you're sitting in 15th and only four points clear of safety, um, you know, the, 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 there might need to be a shift in ideas here a little bit with Ballardini's team. Um, and they can pull that off with the talent that they've got. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just right now, it just, when you look at them, they just look like a team that's just trying to grind out three points here and there and survive. Um, they may have to shift those. They may have to shift that mentality. Um, and we'll see, we'll see exactly just what they do here. Uh, in the you know in the coming weeks, uh, it's not doing them any favors that they go to Lazio next week. Um, you know they might get the La- they might get a Lazio team on some tired legs though because Lazio is playing a match pretty much every three days, uh, every three or four days now. Uh, had to play midweek at Ud- you know against Udinese, the game at Milan, got to play Milan again in the Copa, and now um, you know might be catching them on some tired legs here. Uh, that might be the one thing that Genoa could have going for them headed into the Olympico, but uh, you know. This is turning into a very boring team to talk about, and I didn't think we would say that about Genoa at the beginning of the season. No, yeah. So anyway, uh, moving on, uh, probably and well, not probably, uh, certainly. Well, if this isn't uh, if this isn't the uh, leader for shock of the weekend, uh, it's among the uh, top two or maybe three shocks of the weekend. Fiorentina and Hellas Verona uh, matching up there at the Artemio Franchi. Um, games aren't won on paper, Richard. No, they're not. We they saw are, that. They are definitely not. And uh, and the wake-up call would come from Verona in the 11th minute. Ma Romulo riprende un nuovo calcio d'angolo in pratica. Pallone dentro, colpo di testa, la palla finisce sul palo e poi in rete. E c'è il vantaggio del Verona. Con Vukovic, primo gol in Serie A per Vukovic, e il Verona è in vantaggio. Jagos Vukovic uh, scoring to put Hellas Verona in front. Richard, who the hell is Jagos Vukovic? Oh, you don't know? He's a, he's a long player, type player from... Nah, I have no idea who this is. It is pull this guy <laughs> off the street in Hellas. I mean, obviously, he's like, anybody, anybody can kick the ball? All right, you come, come and join us. We need help. Yeah. Obviously, it worked. Yep. Yep, uh, I, I, he's a, a, a center back, and, you, you know, Verona needs some defenders, so uh, he obviously comes in handy and he scores goals. Let's see how well he does defensively here in the balance of the season. So we'll learn more about Vukovic here uh, as the season goes on. But uh, nine minutes later, 
uh, a little bit more of a known entity uh, made his presence felt. Più veloce Matos in area di rigore ancora Matos cerca di mettere un pallone dentro Ken 2 a 0 2 a 0 Verona ha segnato Ken. Why say Ken? And this was a boy the skill on the chip in from Ryder Matos on that Richard. Yes, uh, the talent on this guy is immense. Uh, yeah. He's one of the one of the darlings of of Serie A, and for Juventus, really. So um, he's going to be he's going places, and with with cheeky shots like that, it shows you this guy has class in him. Yeah, and Matos's ball in was was a sight to behold too. And suddenly Verona was Verona even the fact that Verona even had two goals was something that they had him in the first twenty minutes at Fiorentina was another thing. The shock was definitely on the cards, and just a minute into the second half, brilliant counterattacking play um, uh, from Verona. It was Bruno Petkovic getting on the ball, putting it across early, and it was Ken again. Fiorentina sbilanciata, riparte Petkovic, apertura sulla zona di destra, Ken è solo, e nasce l'incredibile 3-0 del Verona. Ha segnato ancora il Verona, in contropiede, doppietta di Ken. Pouncing, getting the brace. 3-0 Verona at Fiorentina. What the hell is wrong with this world? I had to do a double take because I was like, that can't be right. I had to refresh my app. I was like, no, but no maybe that's Yeah, maybe that's 3-0 Fiorentina and they just got it. But no, we're not kidding yeah, you here. Yeah. We're not kidding you here. Well, maybe the comeback might have been on in the 53rd minute because Fiorentina's, Fiorentina got some movement, got the ball in the area. Gil Diaz getting a goal for La Viola. That made it 3-1. But any talk of a comeback would be quickly quieted through Alex Ferrari in the 55th minute. Fiorentina 1, Hellas Verona 4. Hello, Hellas Verona, and welcome to the 2017-2018 Serie A season. It only took them, what, 22 games? But they finally got it got it together. Man, they looked like a, a team that we kind of thought would be possible. We didn't think they'd beat uh, you know, Fiorentina 4-1. But, man, that's a, that's a performance. Hopefully it's not just a... Once in, once in a season type performance for them, they can pull a little bit better results uh, for the rest of this campaign. Yeah, they beat Milan three uh, nil back on the seven, back on December seventeenth, but it was a ten man Milan uh, that they took advantage of. Um, you know, but that's I mean, and then they were down to ten men beating Sassuolo two nil. I guess this has been in them, but it has not been consistent enough, and that's why they're sitting in nineteenth. But you know, if they can continue to do it you know, to this effect. And they're, they're, they're clearly going to be a, a team to reckon with, but wow, it gets, it gets harder hosting Roma and they're catching Roma at a good time. Um, but then they, time. but then traveling to Sampdoria, traveling to Lazio and then Torino at home, um, before that, before a big game at home against Benevento or at Benevento and then home to Chievo, um, the slate doesn't get any easier. So, this is three points that they're going to look at right now and say it's vital. It keeps it's it's now they're only three points from safety. Maybe uh, Verona can pull off this escape. The talent is certainly there. Fiorentina. I mean, we talk about hey, you know, okay, th- there's going to be growing pains with this team with some of the transition with the set, with many of the exits at the beginning of the season. You know, with the state that the this was a strong Fiorentina team that was out there that went out there and got pounced on by a team that's sitting in 19th. Um, and now this is back-to-back defeats by a combined seven to two. Uh, time to worry a little bit about Fiorentina. 
Uh, I mean, considering who the opponent was, you want to say yes, but I'm going to give it a couple more weeks before I start saying they're in crisis mode. Uh, maybe, like you said, this is part of the growing pains, um, and they're going to get out of it here soon. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, but I, it's still a little too early to say they're in crisis mode. But it, it's it's kind of reminding you of Pioli's team under Inter last year, just a little bit. At Bologna next week and then hosting Juventus before traveling, traveling to Atalanta. Uh I they're mean, gonna do something stupid and beat like Juventus, and you're like, well, "What? Where, where does this come from? You lose to Hellas, and then you beat Juventus. You know, it's gonna, that's that's what Fiorentina is. They're just helter skelter. You never know them. And this is gonna be. They're gonna catch Juventus before Juve has their Champions League game against Tottenham. So um, that's on a Friday. They moved it, they moved that game to a Friday. So you never know. Um, you know, Allegri is gonna get resourceful and try to put out a team that can win one nil. And if Fiorentina take advantage of it and and play loose, that could be very interesting. You're right. But, uh, you know, the form from these last couple of games definitely worries me about them. They sit in 11th on 28th and 28th, and they were getting on a little bit of a run here toward the end of the first half of the season where you thought that maybe they could nick a top six spot. But uh, the, the form that they've shown here in the last couple of games, they, they'll, they'll, I think they'll do well to finish top half. Yeah, I mean, their team's certainly capable with the, with the lineup they have to be in the top 10, if not even in a Europa League spot, but uh, they need to get it together. I mean, top 10 is not out of the, out of the question for sure. Um, cause there's, there's teams that are in and around them that they can beat. Yep. And they're better than, but uh, it's just all a matter if they can put it out on the pitch. Right, let's, let's, let's keep an eye on Hellas Verona. They've got a daunting slate in front of them here. Uh, to their survival hopes. I don't see any more 4-1 wins for them here down the road, but if this could be something to spring them on uh, and, and have a little bit of peskiness in them uh, over the next few weeks, it could, uh, you know, they'll, they'll look at this game as, as where their season might have really gotten started. So, all right, uh, rounding up that multi-calcio slate, Crotone and Cagliari, Richard. Yeah, speaking of teams in relegation, um, Cagliari marched into this one in 16th place. While Crotone sat in 17th place. So, Frank, uh, would you say it's fair to call this one a relegation six pointer? This was a six pointer for sure. Yep. Uh, Crotone, uh, they lost Adrian Stoyan, uh, early in this game to a calf injury. Uh, a little later, Cagliari had penalty appeals waved away by the referee. Uh, a few minutes after that, Nicola Gianetti's acrobatic volley was beaten away at the near post. Uh, then in the 29th minute, Andrea, Andrea Nalini, Nalini, excuse me, was tackled in the penalty area by Paolo Farogo. The referee would go to VAR, that three-letter word we keep mentioning throughout the podcast, and Farago was penalized for a clumsy tackle. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was a good call on the play. I don't know how you felt about that. Um, wow. Uh, you have Diego Lopez out there saying it was soft. Um, you know, this was another one of those 50-50 penalty decisions. You know, you, you you look good to the team that you give it to. You look bad to the team that that uh, that is affected by it, or vice versa. You look bad to the team that felt they deserved it. But uh, I, you know, in the end, another one that was fifty fifty to me. Uh, I don't blame I don't blame for Diego Lopez for feeling it was soft. Ups, you know, so penalty was called in there. Marcello Trota would step up. He rolled in the spot kick to open the scoring for Crotone, up one nothing. Um, this one would get interesting though, right before halftime. So Cagliari, they would lose their goalkeeper Alessio Cragno, who's having a, a very good season, I think, in the last couple, last few weeks, last month or so. Um, he had an accidental clash of heads, and uh, he had to be replaced by Rafael. 
So that was a substitute that was there in the 44th minute or whatnot. Frank, a lot of people always question, why do you keep a second keeper on the bench? Uh, but this proves why you need to do so, right? Yeah, I, when I play FIFA, I don't keep a second keeper on the bench. <laughs> neither, a, neither do I. Yeah. In real-life situations, you need to keep one on there. Yes, but this is real life, and yeah, goalkeepers can get injured or things can be impacted. A goalkeeper can get sent off. That's why you have a second, that's why you have a second goalkeeper available. In case you have to absorb it with one of your substitutions, and this is the second, uh, this is the second time in this match week that we've seen a goalkeeper get substituted. We already talked about, uh, you know, Benevento had to had to substitute and bring on Brignoli. So, yeah, and uh, so moments after Rafael came in, uh, he had to make a brilliant uh, fingertip save off of uh, Nalini, uh, hit off his fingers and off the crossbar, I believe, uh, to keep it at zero zero. Uh, we keep going deeper into stoppage time and, uh, Fabio, P- Fabio Pas- Pasacane, excuse me, was controversially shown a red card for his very high tackle on Federico Ricci. It seemed perhaps harsh at the beginning, but then if you look at the replay, it did seem he appeared to have his, uh, um, his cleats up and it looked like it was a very dangerous play. Yeah, it's a rule of law. I mean, you, you, you go in studs up, you go in on a challenge like that, then, um, and, you know, and, and you catch the guy that high up. Yeah. You're gone. Uh, you're, you're, you're flirting with danger, trying to go in on a challenge like that. And, uh, a deserved red card in my opinion. Yeah. So, uh, Cagliari were dealt a huge blow as they go down to 10 men. Uh, stoppage time would continue on. Uh, we're now in the seventh minute of, of stoppage time, but this would happen. Parte Cigarini. Il destro e la palla in rete. Il pareggio del Cagliari al 52esimo. Incredible. Cagliari equalized with the final move of the first half. Luca Cigarini curled in a perfect free kick from the edge of the area. 1-1, we would go into halftime. That was the longest half I've ever seen in my life, Frank, but it was a very entertaining one, especially at the end with all the penalties and, and fouls and whatnot. And then you get the nice goal to end it. Um, so 1-1, uh, seven minutes of stoppage time. That's crazy. That's like English, English league uh, stoppage time there. Yeah, I mean, but it's uh, it was deserved. I mean, with all yeah. the penalties and stuff. So, yeah, you had, uh, you had all the incidents that, that that led to it. But I mean, you're talking. You're also talking about two teams that are, you know, you can get ex- there. There's the, these games are exciting uh, yeah. because there's a lot on. I mean, twenty second match week, and there's already a lot on the line for these two teams trying to avoid having to sit in that bottom three. Uh, you know, so th- these these games have their you know these this, these games have their merit to them, no doubt about it. So, um, but yeah, it was uh, you know seven seven extra minutes. I don't think I've for a first half. I don't think I've ever seen one as long. No, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we go into the second half. Um, obviously, Calderia were hurting because they were down to ten men. But Rafael, the the backup goalkeeper, was making crucial saves to keep the score even. Uh, just as Calderia thought that they had held on for the point in stoppage time of the second half. Um, Ricci's free kick found Federico Ceccarini that we talked about earlier for a glancing header to the far corner. Uh, they were throwing a bit of luck though, as, uh, after, as we discussed, several minutes of discussion happened and evaluation and the goal was disallowed. Um, again, we're going to go back into this. We both think it was, it was a good goal that was falsely called, uh, for being offside. Uh, it's something that VAR has to, to hammer out, to hash out if they want to, uh, keep this thing going uh down the road for many seasons to come yeah this was a this was a pitiful use of var uh as we mentioned earlier uh and crotonia were robbed and if they get relegated and if they if they get nearly relegated they can look to this incident 
Um, yeah. So it's, uh, it's unfortunate. These are, you know, these are going to be kind of the trials and tribulations with, with VAR, but, um, but, you know, Diego Lopez is going to look at this as saying, look, we were robbed in the first half and then sure maybe they were robbed in the second half. It was honors even all the way around. Oh, he already said, he already said it. And he said after the game, he said, yeah, there were some, there were some calls that affected Cagliari too. So don't act like Tony were victims the whole game. So, yeah, you know, uh, I just, you know, I was watching a little bit of, uh, Zenga's uh, post-game presser on this a little bit and was very, let's just say, diplomatic about it. <laughs> Which, if I'm trying to help keep a team up and that and and I need those two points, I don't think I would have been as polite as he was. So, um, there would have been a few expletives hurled in the press conference, and then I probably would have been fine. So, um, but uh, you know, can't exactly remember everything that he said, but uh, but but just watching his kind of his body language and his mood, he didn't seem like a guy that. Just got robbed of two points, you know. Just got robbed of two points, so that was an interesting one for me. But that's just maybe how he is. So, I mean, either of these teams, I mean, yeah, yeah, sixteenth, seventeenth. But if if you had to pick one of these teams to go down, who would who who would be more likely? Um, based on how based on current form or the form of the last month or so, I would say Crotone would stay up. Uh, they showed me more in, in the attacking sense and an overall fight than Calgary has. But, I mean, if Calgary keeps getting results like this and squeaking out, you know, draws, they'll be staying up. But if I had to pick between the two, I say Crotone stays up, Calgary goes down. Yep. Yep. Uh, it, it could certainly, I think Calgary just has a little more create when, when they have everybody, because, you know, Pavoletti didn't play. Um, you know, when Calgary have everybody, uh, they've got a little more creativity to them than, than Crotone do, in my opinion. Crotone defend better than Calgary do. So maybe you do air to the side of the team that defends better, and in this case, you go with Crotone. So, right, right. Um, you know, so, all right. So that was the uh, relegation six-pointer between Crotone and Calgary. Two more games to go. They were the marquee games of the weekend and started with the game at the San Siro between AC Milan and Lazio, uh, these two teams are going to know each other very, very well as they will rematch uh, in three days uh, in the semifinal first leg of the Coppa Italia at the San Siro. I wonder if the uh, Lazio guys are staying at the same hotel for the next few nights. That'll be interesting uh, to see if that's uh, something that they do or, or, or don't do. So massive game for both teams. Lazio trying to really cement their place as a Champions League team for next season having to do it without their talisman, Chiro Immobile. Uh, Milan, on a bit of a run, have won two consecutive games, uh, been on an unbeaten run all the way back to that uh, quarterfinal win over uh, Inter in the Coppa Italia. So plenty to play for uh, here for both of these teams. And, 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 and uh, Milan controlled this, this game at the start, controlled the possession, uh, started generating some chances. Lazio looking a little dangerous on the break. Uh, a free kick for Milan in the 15th minute. Uh, Hakan Chalanoglu stood over it and. Chalanoglu cross! Il colpo di testa di Cutrone! El Milan avanti con Patrick Cutrone! Diego Armando Maradona. Uh, scoring for Milan in the 15th minute. Actually, no, it was. <laughs> I didn't know we signed him. <laughs> Imagine if we did. Napoli. Oh, God, the Napoli guys are coming after me for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hi James, hi Ken, hi Rafa. Uh, Patrick Cutrone, 
uh, with the goal that we were all so jubilant and thought, what a great headed goal and all this other stuff. And then we go back and we see a few hours later replay that he's, that it actually did go off his forearm. We talked about this earlier about the VAR controversies. Reno Gattuso said after the game, the goal probably should not have been allowed. Um, you know, but, uh, you got to put yourself in position to make your own luck sometimes. And that's just what happened here, uh, on the opening goal, but it would be short lived as five minutes later, Lazio come back the other way. Uh, and they found their, uh, right back, uh, very much unmarked. Adam Marusic, who's having an excellent season, Richard. Uh, little comment on him here first before I talk about, uh, uh, before I want to give my take on, uh, on, on what happened as far as it affected Milan. Yeah, uh, he's a, he's a very underrated, an underappreciated player. We talked about him as an honorable mention for our, our, our squadra finora. Um, he, he is a very good player. Um, not many people know him just because they got all the big, big names up front and you, you, you focus on Milinkovic Savic, you know, Luis Alberto, Immobile, obviously, Felipe Anderson. Um, but you forget about, you forget about this guy, Marisic, and he's a very quality player and you see what he did in the play there to get that goal. Um, he, he has some moves in him because he, he faked out the defender there, but, uh, very good player there, and uh, he's going to be in uh, Squadra Finotas and the talks for Squadra Finotas for for many many t- many rotations to come. Yeah, indeed, and uh, but it was it was some pretty slack defending on that backside. A uh, little bit of miscommunication. Certainly, it was Chalanola who probably should have tracked back. So in that five minute space, uh, I told our friend Mo I, in a text message. I said, I think we just got the good and the bad of Hakan uh, in the space of five minutes. I blame more more Antonelli on that. He was. Pretty pathetic on the defensive there. He got faked out with a very simple move. I thought. Oh, on the when he when he was left to defend one v one, yeah, it was poor. But I think initially, if Chelanolu was back there to help close that passing lane out, because it was a great pass from Lucas Leiva that set it up. Um, but if he's in a better position, I don't think that ball even gets to Marusic. I think that Chelanolu got caught too high. But but yeah, I agree with your I agree with your thoughts on Antonelli. I think he defended it poorly too. Uh, so it would be one one, but just before halftime, Davide Calabria gets. Uh, gets the ball and uh, just gave Andrea Conte another reason to take his time in his recovery. Check cross of Calabria. The colpo di testa di Bonaventura! Jack Bonaventura! Sorpasso Milan! Con Bonaventura! Jack Bonaventura, Jack on a Jack, and a great goal there to put Milan ahead just before halftime. Uh, Lazio would have a little bit better of the play here in the second half, generated some chances to try to get back into this thing. Um... You know, certainly made some positive substitutions, bringing on Nani, bringing on Felipe Anderson. Actually, when he brought on Felipe Anderson, they said, uh-oh, uh, because yeah, this yeah. guy came back at the right time, and he absolutely, I think he destroyed Indonesia all by himself at midweek. Uh, but Milan ultimately hold, held out a uh, hot take, Richard. Davide Calabria was man of the match. Man of the match. And they, I know that at the end of the game, they brought in Abate to put on the right side, and they moved Calabria over to the left side, and he was actually... Um, in charge of guardian Felipe Anderson, which he did pretty admirably, actually. Uh, Calabria, fantastic game. He keeps getting better and better each week. Um, I know I penned an article for World Football Index on Calabria and how good he is and how what the, up, the upside of him is. So, um, so, you know, everything that I wrote about, it shows up in the last three weeks or so with him. He's, uh, he's really coming into his own and that cross he got for the goal, for the assist for the goal. Beautiful, beautiful cross. Uh, plays like that's going to keep him and Gattuso's like, um, starting eleven, whether it's going to be on the right side or left side. Well, once Conte comes, Conte comes back. 
Um, I could see Calabria really being on the left side, and there'll be a formidable left and right uh, fullback uh, combo right there. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And uh, the uh, we're going to have some decisions to make on that right back position on squad that if you know uh, the next time around. I don't think it'll be Bartosz Berezinski this time. I mean, he's been playing; he still plays well for Sampdoria. But with Maros, we had we had. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it a masterclass, but between Adam Marusic and, and Davide Calabria, we had two very good performances from right backs in this game. Uh, so, uh, but three wins in a row from Milan. Dare we say it? The turnaround is starting. Hello, AC Milan. Welcome to the 2017-2018 Serie A season. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, they had been tied with Sampdoria on points, which, you know, maybe a month ago, a month and a half ago, Sampdoria are way ahead on points. So Milan have just slowly come back into this and get a little bit of momentum, get a little bit of confidence, and anything can happen, really. I mean, the teams that are ahead of you are all struggling. So teams lose, you win, you're going to catch, you're going to close that gap up real quick. Yep. And uh, at Udinese, at Spal, not going to be easy for them. Uh, nope, that's after nope. their Copa semifinal. Neither neither game are going to be easy for them when you consider Udinese under Odo. Spal, really difficult team to deal with. And then they've got the Europa League fixtures starting to pile up, and then the just that nasty, uh, the reverse that nasty slate that they had in October shows up again. Sampdoria at Roma at La, uh, the second leg at Lazio, Inter at home, uh, Hu- at Juve in, at the end of March. So um, keep as they build confidence. This is going to get interesting, but uh, a massive win. They had to beat a top half team. They finally did. Uh, this is one of their best wins in a long time. I oh, think. indeed. I think this first is first half was really good, and then this is their best win since they beat Juventus a year and a half ago with Locatelli's goal. With Locatelli, yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. So and the Gattuso looked like he he knew what he was doing tactically wise. He was pressing high. Um, he was getting the guys in the right spots to the, to to crowd out Lazio and forcing them to make unforced errors. And I thought that was brilliant by Gattuso because I didn't think he had it in him. Mm. Uh, maybe it was just his assistance. I don't know. His assistance. I don't know. Uh, but it was beautiful play by Milan and they fully deserved a win here. Yeah. Uh, just that's the Milan I'm used to watching uh, from so many years. So, uh, but uh, let's see if they can keep it up now. It's, it's impressive that they did it today, but let's see if they can keep it going now. Um, Want to finish it up with Roma and Santoria? Yeah, so this was probably the marquee game other than the Milan-Lazio game. Um, one month ago, you know, these two teams were in such fine form that they could probably beat anyone in Europe. Uh, Roma was certainly doing it on the, on the uh, European stage with beating Chelsea. Uh, Sampdoria, they had beaten Juventus. But, you know, based on current forms, both teams are struggling week in and week out. Roma, they haven't won a game since mid-December. And then Sampdoria, they only run one recently, and that was off a big win off of a, a hat-trick from old man Fabio Cagliarella. These teams, you know, the same team squared off in midweek because it was a makeup game, uh, and it was a, ended up being a draw at the Marassi in Genoa, 1-1. So the question would be, would we see one of these teams take the game by the horns, or would we see another draw? Uh, so this game was very lively. Um, uh, you look at the 18th minute, uh, it looked like a heavyweight battle. Like, like I said, you know, both teams are going back and forth. Um, the keepers certainly look ready for this game. However, things would get spiced up when Bartos Berezinski, a guy you just mentioned, um, he was deemed to have a handball in the box. Roma were awarded a penalty kick uh, and upstepped Alessandro Florenzi and... Il capitano, Alessandro Florenzi, la rincorsa, Viviano lo ipnotizza e mette in calcio d'angolo! 
A save by Emiliano Viviano to keep the game level. Frank, typically the shooter has a poor shot, and that's why they usually miss. I thought this was actually struck kind of well, and it was even better save Vivi- by Viviano. Uh, what did you make of the penalty miss? Well, I mean, I think it's a, it's it's it's. I think it's as far as the goalkeepers today. This was the shining moment of two excellent goalkeeping performances in this game, because this could have very well been a four-three result with the chances that each of these teams carved out. Um, you know, uh, but, uh, no, it was a well-taken, I can't, I can't blame Florenzi. It was a well-taken penalty. Um, I mean, an even better save from Viviano. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, not to be outdone in the 44th minute, just before halftime, Alisson came up with two back-to-back saves, uh, on Gianluca Caprari to keep the score zero, zero going into halftime. Um, five minutes after the break, Viviano again continued to impress with a miraculous point, a miraculous save point blank on Chenez Under. That was a, a complete reaction save. I mean, he was what, on the six yard box when he took the shot and he just completely snuffed it out. I don't know how he got that. It was something like you see, uh, Donnarumma do in the past, uh, pre money, I would say. Yep. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was a great save by Viviano. Um, so, you know, keep going back and forth. This, like, like you said, this is certainly a masterclass in goalkeeping by both Alisson and Viviano. However, the deadlock would eventually get broken as Nicola Muru rolled across a pass across a six-yard box, past the defense to to a wide-open teammate. Il filtrante adesso Muru in area, palla dentro, Zapata con il piattone e la Samp la sblocca. Settimo gol in campionato per il colombiano. Duvan Zapata snuck up behind Juan Jesus to tap in in the 80th minute to give Sampdoria a big one-nothing lead. Um, Sampdoria ultimately will walk away with a huge three points and Roma's struggles continue. It seems Sampdoria are a little bit out of their struggles and Roma continue on theirs. I think that Nicola Muro is just happy to be out of Cagliari. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but uh, great ball across uh, finding, Zupata, finding Zapata there. And uh, this was big for Sampdoria in the sense that, um, you know, we're impressed, but do this in an away match against the, against the big name. And they, and they, and they've got that win now. Um, you know, so, uh, so it's three big points for them, but wow, it is just, it's, it's gone from bad. What's happened to Roma here? I mean, we midway through the season, we sing their praises. We talk about Di Francesco being the manager of the half season. I made that crazy prediction that I thought Roma could reach the semifinals of the champions league. And it's like, you know, it's almost as if, you know, they, 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 they took that loss to, they just have not been the same. They, they lost at Juve, uh, on Christmas and they just haven't been the same since. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's very similar to Inter where they're in a, in a bit of a funk right now. And, uh, one of these two teams, if any, one of these teams have to come out of it because I think quality wise on paper, they, both these teams are excellent. However, if they don't get their stuff together, you know, Lazio and, and Sampdoria, maybe even Milan will start, you know, challenging these guys and they're not going to challenge the top two, obviously, but, uh, they may have to start worrying about their position in the table, uh, cause, uh, they're, they're ahead of these, they're ahead of the, the middle Europa League contender teams, but not by not much, by not much. You know, the gap between first, first, second and third is bigger than, than what it is from like fourth, fifth and down to sixth and seventh. So, but um, you, you know, Roma and Inter got off to such red hearts, red hot starts. It was you know, to happen, open right? the season. That yeah, I mean, it's exactly. And well, conversely, Milan struggled coming out of the blocks. That 
you know, sometimes it's a team getting their struggles out of the way and they start raising their game and they start performing much like Sampdoria last year where they were, they were miserable for most of the first half of the season and the second half they turned it up, uh, you know, and kicked on here. It's, it's in reverse Inter and Roma just came flying out. Um, you know, and now, you know, things have, whether things have worn off with the new managers, I know there's a lot of distractions at Roma right now with this Aiden Jekko and Chelsea business. Um, you know, and, uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, these are all things that are kind of prevailing right now. And, uh, you know, you wonder, you know, have, have things kind of worn off Have the ideas, you know, you get excited about some fresh ideas from a new manager and now, you know, those have, those have kind of had their place and they've settled and, and, and that's all worn off. The honeymoon period with the new manager is over with now. Um, you know, so many questions about Inter and Roma that, uh, yeah, we we knew there might be some regression with these teams, but but boy, they're they're they don't look the same as they did at the beginning of the season. No, then and the question is when are they going to when and if are they going to come out of this funk? Yep. Um, hopefully sooner than later for Seriasic, but uh, time will tell. Yep, agreed. I mean, and even Juventus, you know, stumbling a little bit at the beginning of the season, but yeah, certainly have Napoli gotten their, too. Napoli as well. Yep. But certainly have gotten their act together. So I mean, it's just it's. It, it's a you know you 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 have your peaks and valleys and right now, you know Inter and, and Roma are in their bad period and it's just a matter of you know how 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 long can they uh, how long can they how long can they survive this can they get out how quick can, or how quick can they get out of it is a better question um, and I think that that's what uh, what you're looking at I mean even Atalanta very poor out of the blocks but they were trying to they put the priority on the Europa League. Um, now that that group stage is out of the way, that doesn't start up again for a few weeks, a chance to win some league games and get their place in the table back up. So, you know, so, so it's, it's, it's going to be interesting with those two teams and, and they're in, you know, at fourth and fifth respectively between Inter and Roma, those are, you know, they're, those are shaky positions for both of them. Yeah. And, and, you know, Lazio, Though they lost today, they're still in the mix, and now you got teams like Sampdoria starting to win again. Milan's all of a sudden found some form. You know, Udinese and Torino are there. Uh, they gotta, they gotta start worrying because uh, it's, it's not, it's not a lock that they're going to be in Champions League or uh, in the race for Champions League anymore. If, if this form continues to be poor, uh, they may, they may miss out on Champions League altogether. Right, right. Um, it's. Uh... You know, and, and, and all it's going to take for one of them to drop in a, in a team like a Sampdoria, Milan, even an Atalanta at this stage, you know, are, are, are going to pounce. And I think it's just to put Milan and Atalanta in this conversation the way they've been playing. Um, you know, they, they might be a little bit further back from a points uh, standpoint, but from a form standpoint, they're, 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 they're right there. So um, going to be very interesting with a two-horse race for the title. We've got a... You know, I think as these next few weeks unfold, we've got a very interesting fight here for third and fourth. Um, and then the relegation battle is going to start to get very interesting uh, with Hellas Verona picking up uh, what many would say is an unexpected win. Uh, you know, all of a sudden making themselves a player and maybe there's there's two places, um, uh, you know, avail. there's two potential teams that could, you know, two drop positions if we think Benevento is still going to go down. Um, it's, uh, boy, so many storylines are going to unfold here over the last uh, 16 match weeks of this season, Richard. 
Yeah, just gonna get uh, it's gonna get a little tighter and tighter. I mean, there's races in the middle of the part, middle of the table, top of the table, bottom of the table. I mean, that's what we want to see in Serie A and some of these teams. We're gonna see who's who's really uh, who's really gonna get uh, assert themselves, I guess, uh, as the season goes on here because um, the storylines are just building and building, and it's uh, it's it's beautiful. Okay, and that's that's what we've got with match week 22. Before we put a bow on this, Richard Coppa Italia first leg midweek. You have Atalanta at home against Juventus on Tuesday. Uh, Milan and Lazio, Milan and Lazio had so much fun on Sunday that they're going to do it again on Wednesday in the Copa uh, at the San Siro. Uh, your thoughts on these games and your predictions? Ooh, uh, the first one, Atalanta hosting Juventus is a very tasty encounter. Um, being back in Bergamo, their true home, uh, not the Mape Stadium. I think Atalanta, they're definitely a team to reckon with, like I said, both in Syria and in Europe. They're going to give Juve everything they can handle. Um, I see this ending up in a draw, a score draw, but a draw nonetheless. So maybe something like a 1-1, one, one, okay. I think, in that game. Okay, and Milan-Lazio? Milan-Lazio, Milan's home in that game, correct? Yeah. yeah. So ooh, uh, usually, typically, when the teams two teams face each other within days of each other, uh, whoever gets the result in the first game tend to lose the second one. We saw with Milan early in the season, beat Hellas Verona in the Coppa Italia a couple days later. Got blown out by Hellas Verona. Uh, so anything can happen in this. Um, I think, you know, lots you're going to try to make a statement in that game, but I think Milan are riding on a good wave right now. They're very confident. Um, I'm going to go with, ooh, man, uh, let's say 2 1 Milan. Yeah, oh, okay. So you're going you're gonna to go for Milan in this. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go 1 1 for both games. Uh, okay. And I don't think anybody, I don't think any of the four teams will feel too disappointed about it. Um, you know, in the case of Atalanta and Milan, yeah, they'll be in a disadvantage going into the second leg for each of those games, but they'll know they have to go there to win. Um, you know, so I don't think they'll be too bothered by, you know, I don't think any of these four teams will be bothered by 1-1 results. Um, so I'll, I'll go with score draws for both games, 1-1 in each game. So... That will put it. That will put a bow on this edition of the Serie A sit down. Uh, Richard, where can they find you on Twitter? And uh, are you going to be up to anything uh, article wise? Uh, you can find me at r underscore k h a r m a n. Um, I am going to be in stuff with articles, but I'm, I'm, I got some stuff going on here, personal life. So um, that's going to be the focus of it. So I'm just going to go ahead and plug uh, my Pietro Pellegrini article at Different World Football Index. Being now that he had moved to Monaco for 22 million. Um, if you're trying to find out what this player is about, give that or give it a read. It's my scouting report on him. Um, you'll definitely learn more about him and, uh, what he's going to give to Monaco, uh, and, and then the Italian national team from here on out. So give that a go. And, uh, you can find me at FTC underscore 21 on Twitter. Uh, the Calcio consultant, uh, is my blog on world football index. And, uh, uh, I will put out a piece this week. It'll probably just have uh, my takes on some random observations on what's going on with Serie A. I'll probably regurgitate, you know, a few of the things that were said uh, here on this pod. The the incident with uh, uh, Cacciatore and Maresca in the Kievo Juventus game. The incident with the penalty. You know, the fan bases and how they're affected. Yeah, it might might get into a little bit of that. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it walking on eggshells. Uh, that's to that's to be sure. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to rattle somebody's cage. I just know it. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, uh, you, you know, be on the lookout for something like that. I'll just, uh, take a, do a little bit more of a deep dive here and, uh, provide some observations on what I'm seeing. Maybe offer some hot takes. I think that that's, it's time for me to put together a piece like that. But, um, 
uh, at Seria Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, would like a topic covered on a future podcast, uh, by all means, uh, do it. Uh, but uh, but that will do it for us for another week. Uh, enjoy the Copa Italia games this week. Uh, looking forward to recapping that and all of the action for Match Week 23 next weekend. Uh, until then, thank you for listening to the Serie A sit-down, and be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao.